Welcome to Man Pepper, a baseball podcast, straight baseball banter, coming in hot, episode 21, with your hosts, Jake and Chris. What's going on, man? What's up, Jake? We're into the 20s now, man. Getting up there. Asked you in the green room there. I said, what episode are we on? Holy shit, 21. That means we've been doing this for about 21, maybe 24 weeks, which is pretty crazy. Just churning them out content you know we're excited we, we're bringing the guests right off the top again like last week we've got jim buckley with us today uh jim's a fellow sienna alum uh played at sienna I believe 1999 to 2002 correct me if i'm wrong jim uh right. but then about five years with the red sox organization playing minor league ball looks like a quick stint in independent ball after that and uh has been staying connected to the game. He's currently the Southeast Regional Supervisor for the San Francisco Giants. Jim, welcome to the pod. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. Dude, so Sienna alum, first and foremost, which is awesome. So you'll appreciate what are you drinking tonight? And hopefully you'll partake. <laughs> we haven't had many partaking recently, but uh, Chris and I do a little, you know, two or three minutes. I'm going back to the bourbon train, Chris. Yeah. I, just nice little old fashioned four roses, which I don't love. So it's a good old fashioned mixer for me. Um, nice, healthy pour because we're going to be here for a while. Yeah, I said the but, last time I needed to get on the bourbon train. I'm still going with the beer tonight. Maybe next week. I've got one of my favorite beers of all time. I went today after work, Jake, to try to find something because I didn't have anything in the house. I've got lunch by Maine Brewing Company. Seven uh, percent IPA. Kind of one of the, the OG IPAs is what I like to call them, like this and Heady Topper and a few others that kind of set the stage for everything that's come since. Just uh, just a delightful beer. So I'm going to enjoy this one. What do you got, Jim? Anything? What are, you, what are you rocking with? I didn't know where we were going, so I didn't bring out the alcohol tonight. But I have this weird thing for Diet Sunkiss soda. So for some reason, nice. I drink Diet Sunkissed Orange all the time. I don't know why. Okay. It's a weird thing, but it's it's my thing, I guess. Respect it. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into too much background, I kind of want to hit you guys with a couple couple quick hitter first reactions. Aaron Judge hit number 54 on pace for, I think he's on pace for like 63. You think he's going to do it? That's, that's the first question. I haven't really been following as much since the Red Sox are just awful. Uh, you know, I've been checking the, the scores and our fantasy stats, Jake, because we're approaching playoffs. Uh, Judge is a monster. I'm sure... I'm sure he'll do it because honestly, for the Yankees to hold on to the division, he's got to keep doing that. Uh, let's see him get past 60. And I, I, I'm honestly interested to see if he does, like if there's fanfare around it, because obviously that number used to mean a lot. And now maybe it means less. But yeah. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I, I think he gets there. I mean, he's going to play a ton in the AL East the rest of the way out. I mean, ballparks, right handed hitter in those ballparks middle of that lineup they're going to compete against everybody else trying to still win so i think he gets there jake what about you man he's basically hitting a home run a day right now and he's going like you know one for like today went one for three or one for four he's just going for it so he's gonna get it he's just he's lifting and separating so good (laughs) for him even though i hate the fucking yankees but uh number two christian yelly Hit a 499-foot home run in Colorado yesterday. What's more impressive, that Nomar Mazzara's 505-foot home run like five or six years ago in Texas or Giancarlo's 504-foot home run in Miami 
which must have been, I don't know, six years ago. You're throwing out some uh, historical runs that I don't really recall off the top of my head. I'm going to I'm going to take the 500 foot home runs without the altitude aided over whatever Yelly did the other night. But 499, wherever you hit it is pretty impressive. But I'm going to go with Mazzara and uh, Stan. I don't know, man. You see Nomar and Stan stand next to each other and then Yelich do that five and four ninety nine. I'm gonna yeah. take Yelich. I don't care about where he hit it. That's pretty impressive. All right. So I'm I'm taking Yelich too, Jim, for that exact reason. You got two monsters. And Yelich, like, he hit the most perfect backspin leadoff home run just like on a changeup. He just was like he just caught it perfect. He hit it into the third deck in right center in Colorado last night which I don't think I've ever seen a ball in right center. I mean, I'm talking like right center, like way out there, third deck. Mazzaro's, I remember, Chris, was in Texas, and he hit it on like the fourth deck in Texas, in right field, the old Texas stadium, which was ridiculous. And, you know, granted, it was a few feet farther, but Mazzaro's a bigger dude. Stanton, I can't even count him just because he's an Adonis, so... He doesn't count, even though he hits it 500 feet. <laughs> I do remember his, though. I remember that one. All right, last one. Last one. Judge or Otani, AL MVP? Or am I missing somebody? I don't I don't think you're missing anybody. I mean, those are the top two. I'd probably go Judge this year, although I feel like Otani's two-way contribution like has to matter to a large degree. What's he at for homers now? I haven't checked his stats offensively. I know he's not doing what he did last year. I think he just got to. I think he just got to thirty, or maybe that was Trout. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of like now that I'm thinking about it, it might be Otani because he's having such an amazing season pitching. Like he's he's like probably top three Cy Young. So you add all that together, but you know the Angels aren't sniffing the playoffs so that also matters. So I'm reverting back to what I said initially Jake and Jim, I'm going Judge for MVP. <laughs> yeah, I'll go the opposite way with you. I'm taking Otani. I mean, talking about most valuable player, that guy's yep. unreal. I mean, as a middle of the lineup and a number 1, a legit number 1, it's impressive. I don't care who you are. So where do you stand Jim on uh I feel like baseball is I don't know if it's the only sport, but you can win the MVP or the Cy Young, even on like a last place team. It seems like it's more of an individual stat award as compared to NBA or NFL, where traditionally you got to be at least on a playoff team or a contender. Um, so like with respect to the baseball awards MVP, like are you do you value being on a good team? And I should caveat it with you could be the best player in the game in baseball and be on a shit team because it's a really, truly a team sport, whereas if you're LeBron James in your prime in the NBA, your team's going to make the playoffs every single year. Baseball is not the same way. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, Mike Trout, you could argue, is the best baseball player in the last decade. You know, the guy, I mean, that guy can't get anywhere in the playoffs or to yeah. the playoffs most of the years. So, I mean, he can't control what that guy's doing on the mound. That guy's throwing up a six ERA. Like, he's got nothing to do with it. They're hitting balls, you know, over the fence. He can't go get them. Look, I – does it matter a little bit? I think when you're talking about playoff baseball, sure, guys in contention. But I think when you have such a special talent like Otani, I think that outweighs kind of what Judge can do. I mean, Judge's lineup, let's face it, it's not like he's the only guy in that lineup. It's, there's, some, there's some bats around him as well. So, I mean, I would take Otani just, again, probably probably a little bit with both sides of the ball. But, yeah, I mean, look, if you're, if you're 40 games back, I mean, is it hard to win? Sure. But 
you know, I, again, I take him just because of what he's doing on that club. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chris, 33 bombs for Otani. Yeah. He has over 10 wins. He's got over, I don't have the stat, but I think he has over 150 strikeouts. Dude, he's at, he's at like 188 strikeouts and 130 innings. I check, like it's stupid. His pitching stats this year are ridiculous. I think he's got over 20 stolen bases. Again, we've seen the home run. Here's my vote of confidence and vote for Otani. We've seen the guys put up home runs, and I'm not taking anything away from Judge, and I misquoted he's at 55. We have not seen a guy put up offensive stats and pitching stats like it's fucking Little League. Never seen since it. Babe, since Babe Ruth. I mean, we haven't seen yeah, it. Well, allegedly Babe Ruth. Yeah, allegedly. If he existed. Um, right. You know what? You guys convinced me. I'm going back, and I'm going with Otani now. We're all, we're all on board with Otani. Let's go. <laughs> Good. All right. I like the little quick hitters, guys. So that's what I had for you, Chris. Where do you where do you want to take it? Yeah, I wanted to just let's start with Sienna, man. So like we said, Jim's a fellow alum. Jim, you were you were there in ninety nine, right? When they won the Mac tournament in ninety nine, were you on that team? I was there. And then you played through two thousand and two. So just kind of take us back to that period of time. Like Sienna was I think that's kind of when Sienna got on the map baseball wise, when in that ninety nine tournament started like reeling off a bunch of really good years, some really good players that got drafted. And, you know, goes without saying that our guy Rossi was at the helm then and three decades prior to that. So what was it like in the late 90s and early 2000s? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. So I grew up in Kansas City. You guys probably don't know that. So I graduated high school in Kansas City and wind up in Loudonville, New York, right? You know, Siena College, not exactly what I thought my my baseball career, my, my uh, college was going to take me to there. But um, yeah, it was interesting, you know, show up there, obviously Rossi was, you know, 20 years younger, but looks the same as he does today. Um, we had some, we had a good club. We had a good club the whole time I was there. I mean, those four years that I was there, we competed every year for the, and we lost twice in the, in the Mac finals, uh, that 99 team, you know, we had some, we had great defense. Todd Donovan was out in center field who, who played a while in the minor leagues and, and we had guys that could swing it. We had pitchers. It was really a fun team. Um, I mean, we ran into Wake Forest and that didn't end so well for us, but, uh, it, yeah, it was fun. It, we had a good time. I think we had a good close knit group too. those four years that I was there. The whole, my whole class was, uh, was pretty close. We lived together off, off campus and, and, uh, we enjoyed our time on the field as well as off. So Jim, how did you end up at Siena from, uh, Missouri? I saw that that was your birthplace when I was looking you up on baseball reference. Like, how did that happen? We, we had guys when Jake and I played from like, like Juco guys from California, but th- yeah. there weren't that many that came for all four years from like maybe that far in the Midwest or, or out West. So what's the story there? Yeah. So when I was going through college, I was originally committed to Missouri. I was playing in tournament in Cleveland, Ohio uh, that year. And a bird dog from the uh, Braves came up and handed me one of his little index cards. I filled it out, you know, went on my way. He called about a week later. He said, Hey, you know, I did some digging and Missouri's got like 17 freshmen. I said, yeah, that's where I was going to go. You know, look, I was on no scholarship there. It was just kind of show up and, you know, you'd have a place on the team. Who knows what that could have been. It could have been a bullpen catcher for all I knew, but wanted to go play division one baseball. And, and this guy calls me up and he says, Hey, why don't you come to Northeast? I'll hook you up with some schools, go visit and come up and play every day. And probably the best decision I ever made, and I tell kids all that, obviously, in scouting now, but 
you know, it's great to say I'm going to University of Florida, I'm going to Mississippi State, I'm going to all these, you know, these SEC, ACC schools to go play. But if you don't play, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're not on the field, you're watching for two or three years, you're not getting better and nobody's watching you play. So I came up, visited a bunch of schools, three schools up in New York, and it was odd the now assistant coach, head assistant coach at Wake Forest, Bill Salento, who's also, yeah. who was there, he was a year ahead of me, now one of my good friends. While I was visiting LeMoyne, he was, the, the uh, guy that showed me around LeMoyne said, come up to a summer league game. So we go up to Lake Geneva where he was playing. He introduced me a couple of the guys. Well, Salento happened to be the catcher there that day. And I don't know what he did the night before. I'm not claiming anything. I don't know what he was doing that morning, but this dude had the worst game of his life. I mean, it was horrible. <laughs> I was like, good God, man. If this guy can catch at Siena, I was like, I'll walk in and start with this guy. <laughs> so, so the funny thing was, is as I was visiting LeMoyne and getting the show in there, I saw him, went and saw Siena the next day. Look, I'm a kid from Kansas City, man. Syracuse and Albany are the exact same place, right? It's, it's all the same, so... I chose Sienna, and uh, I tell Bill all the time that was that was the worst game he ever had in his life, and it cost him his career behind the plate. But he deals with it. <laughs> That's awesome. Small world. We talked to uh, Wake, uh, Wake Forest pitching coach Cora Mascara a couple episodes ago, who was our teammate at Sienna, oh four, and right. he left after oh six or oh seven. And he he was talking about he's like, yeah, Salento recruited you, you you know, Chris and Jake, and we're both looking at each other. I was like. No, Salento didn't didn't recruit us. We just like Donovan got me in at Siena because he's from my hometown. Gave Rossi a call, got me on the on the showcase, and like Rossi's like, "Oh, Donovan said you're a pretty good kid, so uh, here's scholarship." And then Chris was like the same thing, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, Jim, did you did you play with Eric Bame? Was he at, on that on those teams, or was he before no. you guys? Okay, so no. he was my like one of my high school coaches, and he pitched at Siena. You know. Uh, before I went saying he just called Rossi. He's like, Hey, you should take a look at this kid. And then he's like, yeah, he could be on the team. And that's how I ended up at Siena. So, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's not all that different. Cause he now, he never saw me play. I mean, yeah. I look the guy, you know, the bird dog called him and said, Hey, this guy can catch. And we talked on the phone, you know, flew up there. Actually, when we were actually leaving Syracuse. We went towards Buffalo and I'm like, I don't think this is the right way. So we turned around go back to Albany. He had never seen me play. And he offered me like, you know, a little scholarship when he had left and said, Hey, you can be on the team. I mean, trusting guy over his last what, yeah, 54 yeah. years. Method to Rossi's madness, I guess. Right. He's got some good talent that's come out of Siena just by uh word of mouth, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you, you raise a good point though, Jim, about originally being committed to Missouri. Find out there's 17 guys coming in. Not that you couldn't have played from day one, but like who the hell knows, right? It's going to be a, a fight and maybe wouldn't have gotten as much playing time, right? So you chose a place where you thought you could potentially play from day one or close to it. That had a lot to do with my decision as well. You know, I wasn't like debating SEC or ACC schools, but I had like a bunch of Northeast schools I was contemplating. And candidly, it's like Siena wasn't at the top of my list in the, in the uh, beginning of my recruiting process. But I went up there. I really liked the school. I knew it had a good baseball program. And then Rossi said, like, we're graduating our entire infield uh, before you come in. So when you get there, you're going to have a shot at second, short or third. I wasn't a first baseman, but like those it's wide open. And, uh, you know, Jake and I were in the same class and a bunch of other freshmen as well. And that whole fall, 
they just rotated us second, short, third each day and, and tried to figure out who was going to play where. But my point is, I think it's really important for a lot of these kids to pick a place where you can get playing time early. You, you were fortunate to have a pretty long minor league career. Um, and some guys are able to do that, but for 95% of guys, it's going to end after college. So go a place you can play and that you're going to enjoy yourself and rather than sit on the bench for three years. Yeah, we deal with it down here all the time. I mean, look, it's great to say, hey, I'm going to University of Florida. I live in Tampa. Right. Florida's, you know, Florida forever has been the place to be. Not too far removed from a national championship. Everybody, you know, brand new ballpark they just built. But everybody wants to go to the ACC, SEC school. They want to they post it on Twitter and post it on Facebook. And mom and dad want to go say, hey, my son's going to this place. And the funny thing is, is when you see them a year later and they're at Santa Fe Community College yeah. or they're at, you know, one of these other places and then they're trying to get another place to go to another division one school where look, not everybody can play at university of Florida. I mean, it's just a fact. I mean, it's, you may even be good enough, but there's, you know, you got an all American guy that was there a year before sitting in your spot. I think the problem is some of these guys don't do their homework. You know, you've got a starting catcher that was a freshman or a sophomore. I mean, you've got two years dealing with that guy. They're not taking him out of the game. I mean, the odds of him coming out and you going in are not good. So, yeah. you know, we talk to these high school kids. Sometimes it's hard to, hard to tell them, but, you know, they need to find places you can go play. Because, again, you can practice all you want, but unless you're seeing live pitching, unless you're actually pitching against hitters, you're just not getting better. Nobody's watching you play. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Did that impact you, Jake, in terms of in terms of your uh, decision? You know what? I, I don't even really remember the recruiting process. There was, like – a bunch of D2 schools that were giving me a lot of interest, a handful of smaller D1. Rhode Island was the biggest D1 outside of Siena, I guess. And Siena's not a big one, but like Rhode Island, they were like, full ride, whatever, here you go, take it, take it. And I was like, man, that's a pretty good offer. And I had a buddy from NFA who was going to be their starting catcher. But the catch, there was always a catch. Talking to the coach, he was like, yo, you want to go into like finance and all these different things, but you have to actually be a textile major so you can get reciprocity with you, with University of Connecticut. So we can give you scholarship on Connecticut basis because like UMass, University of Rhode Island and Connecticut have this deal where if they don't have the right major in state, you can get that in-state tuition. And I was like, what the hell is textile management? <laughs> and, you know, I, I wasn't thinking I was going to go pro. So I was like, I need to have an education. I can't have fucking textile management. Like, I don't even know what the... I still don't so know I was what like, that dude, is. I was like, that doesn't feel right to me. And then like, you know, the field sucked down there. The campus sucked. So I was just like, other, if you wanted to live off campus at the beach, cool. But like, I grew up going to those beaches in high school. I was like, fuck that. Yeah. And then Rossi was just like, here you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it Yeah, it's weird how Sienna came... Uh, to be my decision as well like I talked about it a little bit but like I really was set on Holy Cross that was like my number one school I yeah. love the campus they they did have some returning guys even though there might have been a spot for me early on but like I was pretty much ready to go there but they were in the Patriot League with no athletic scholarships so it was going to be uh, an expensive school with trying to get some financial aid you know how they can kind of like yeah. work the numbers a little and get you something but then when Sienna started coming into the picture and they actually had some scholarship money Honestly, for me, it was like my parents sat me down and they said, you can go to Holy Cross and you're going to owe X amount in student loans or you can go to Siena and 
probably not have any loans after your four years there. And if you go do grad school, or whatever, that's going to be on you. But I was like, you know what? I'd rather graduate without the loans. And that's why I picked Sienna yeah. in, con- in connection with the fact that I had a shot to play from day one. Yeah, 100%. What, you know, I do remember, there was that school down in Fairfield, not Fairfield, the other D1, small. Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart. That The, the guy was like, the who, Kaplan, I think was his name. The, the coach at the time. And he was like, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. But something along, I don't know, remember if that was the same deal, Chris, where they're like, Oh, we can do some finagling with your money. Yeah. Like super nice campus in school. But I was just like, this seems difficult. Like why can't I just, <laughs> can't you just throw some money like at the baseball program? Like, and then again, Rossi's like, bing, 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 come on up. Done. So that was it. Yeah. <laughs> right, Jim? That's it, right? Just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. <laughs> just, just, you know, I don't understand. They get their curveball. I don't understand. My, my, mine was always, Jake, elbows up. Elbows up. Get the elbow down and throw. I'm like, what? My el- I don't do this when I'm throwing. I'm not throwing to the sky. <laughs> oh, the Rossiisms. God, it's great. Jim, I got to tell this quick story because I think you'll appreciate it. I apologize to anyone listening if I've already told it because I might have. But Rossi came up to me one day. It goes like my senior year. He's like, hey, Chris, you know you, you hit with a leg kick? And I was like, yeah, coach. I, I do know that I have a leg kick. Like I practice swinging every day. I know what my approach is. He's like, I like the leg kick. I always sit with one, but never knew I had it until a coach came up to me one, said, one day and said, hey, Tony. You always sit with a leg kick. And I looked down. I saw my leg in the air and I said, whoop, I got a leg kick. I didn't know that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know how you could hit for 20 years without knowing if you pick your leg up. But that's what he said. <laughs> Probably trying to swing a 50-ounce bat, too, at the time he was playing. Yeah. Yeah, Jim, talk to me a little bit about uh, about your playing career at Siena. You, in particular. Not you know, You talked about the team. You guys won a little bit. And then parlay that into minor league ball with the Sox. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess I was decent. I mean, I caught well enough, played all four years. Got hurt a little bit my uh, junior year. Like, again, I'm telling Rossi I can't throw. And he's like, I, I, I don't understand. What do, you, what do you mean you can't throw? Like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. It hurts when I throw. He's like, ah, you're fine. Go play first base. I'm like, okay. So I went and played first uh, most of my junior year, came back. We had a good team senior year. Um, and uh, I had a good couple years there. You know, it's the tough part of my senior year was I think I caught 55 of the 56. Oof. And, I mean, catching the doubleheader at Cornell on Tuesday, man, I was smoked. Like, it just oh, – you just hope yeah. on that second game you're looking at DH. And and uh, he never did. So, I think I caught all – I think I actually the one I didn't catch was the first one, which is oddly weird that it was at University of Florida – they brought a catcher in from California. He caught the first game. I think they stole like seven or eight bases, and that was the end of his <laughs> catching career too. Um, yeah, I had a good – you know, I was hoping – I was really hoping to get drafted my, uh, my senior year. Obviously, went the 25th round, you know, got no money. Well, I got 1000 bucks. I think I asked for – I think the phone call went, hey, you're getting $1,000. You need to be in Lowell, Mass. on Sunday. I said, hey, is there any chance I can get 3500 And they said, no. And I said, I'll see you on Sunday. So that was yeah. my keen, keen negotiating <laughs> skills that I uh, developed there. Um, played in Lowell, Mass., which at the time was an awesome place to play short season. I think at the time they were like on an eight or nine year like sellout streak up there. Awesome place to play. 
the rest of the Penn League, there were some good places, some not good places. If you ever played at Oneontas Field, uh, you know what I was talking about, the other side of it. I mean, when you're catching, you can only see the shoulders and the head of your center fielder. You're standing in a hole. Um, but uh, from there, yeah, you know, first spring, Fort Myers, you know, is it was just go out and try to make clubs every year. You know, when you're not when you're the guy that's a 25th round senior sign, thousand dollar guy. I mean, you're never assured a spot anywhere. So you got to go out and earn a spot everywhere you went. I was fortunate enough, you know, I got the year. Let's see, it was oh oh five. I started in Double A, wound up in Triple A for the last half, and then uh, started there in oh six. And uh, it was the whole actually. Um, the whole Wakefield, they couldn't catch the knuckleball in Boston. So that was 06. That was Bard trying to catch the knuckleball. And then we wound up bringing in a bunch of catchers, thinking we could fix the problem. And that kind of put me on the Phantom DL for a long time uh, in 06 and then got my release and wound up an independent ball there. And after that, decided to uh, call it a career and move on. And never really left the game, though. I was helping run an indoor facility in Long Island for a couple of years and wound up getting into scouting. So I got I got two questions based on what you said. In 06, was that the year that they uh, flew Mirabelli in midseason and like limoed him to the game to catch Wakefield? So the, the story went, I was in Pawtucket. It was actually Ken Huckabee and I were in Pawtucket. And two days before that happened, they brought Corky Miller in. Corky was a vet catcher. He had like, I don't know, four or five years in the big leagues. Uh, but he had a knuckleballer in Tacoma where he was. So they brought him in. They put me on the Phantom DL, and then they. it was two days later where the whole Mirabelli thing happened. You know, they fly him in, police escort to the field. So instead of uh, getting rid of – instead of letting me play and get rid of one of them, they let those two play and let me sit on the Phantom DL for, I think, 61 days that year, which was brutal. But, yeah, that was the whole uh, – Josh Barton not being able to catch the knuckleball kind of cost me <laughs> kind of cost me my career because they had to go get Mirabelli back. Oh man, it's unbelievable! So actually, I got three questions. Sorry to hijack this, Jake. No, go for it, man. <laughs> so I saw in 06 you were up with the uh, big league club for spring training for a bit. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yep. Did you ever catch Wakefield in a bullpen or in a game? I got three pitches. Okay. So it was Wakefield's decision. Whoever was there, it was, Wakefield was making the call. Whoever he said, "This is the guy. It's going to be the guy." So it was Huckabee, uh, Bard, and uh, John Flaherty. And, and myself, and I wound up being there, and he wanted to throw like a little touch and feel. And I actually had Charlie Zink, who was a knuckleball pitcher his whole career, and I caught him all the way through the minor leagues. So I had no problems catching him. So I got down for, I think I think it was two, maybe been three pitches, and all of a sudden here comes an old stampede of old-ass catchers running at me because they weren't going to let me get any time with Wakefield at all. I mean, they came in like, we got it, we got it, we got it. Those guys all had, you know, all of them had big league time. Obviously, Flaherty was an unbelievable defensive catcher, and and uh, so that was my limited stint with Wake and his uh, two or three pitches that he threw in a pin. Was one of those pitches a, a seventy-two mile an hour fastball? It was not. <laughs> Just kidding. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me let me let me let me air one out. Yeah, you said you you were catching. You had a knuckleballer in uh, in the minors, Charlie Zink. You yeah. said. Yeah. So you only caught three awakes, but any noticeable difference just in those three pitches based on what you were used to? No, I mean, Charlie got to the big leagues. Like he was international okay. pitcher of the year, international league pitcher of the year. He went up in the big leagues, a short stint. I mean, it was a, if you ever go back and look at my past balls, you can tell it was pretty good, especially a game in Durham. When I think I had nine, 
thing was <laughs> the wind was blowing like 25 miles an hour in his face and it was just hoping it was going to hit me um but yeah it, it was look there, it's it's a tough pitch to catch don't get me wrong especially depending on how the wind is shifting but the di- biggest difference in like mirabelli is mirabelli was in a position where he if he'd miss one he'd just be like right, i missed it who cares and go back and get it and move on mm-hmm. where when you're a young guy and especially you're in that position and you're in that that team at that time where they were as good as they were. I mean, you, you never wanted to feel that it's my fault feeling. So it's tough. And the more tense you get when you're trying to catch a knuckleball, you got no chance. I mean, as soon as you start getting grabby with it, you're done. You got no, no chance you're catching it. Oh man. I, I'm thinking of so many questions just because I'm a huge Red Sox fan. And like you were there in like the prime time of my fanhood, like Oh four what was it like being a part of the organization for 2004 and watching those games and the ALCS in particular, like did, were you, how, how, how much were you pulling for those guys knowing that you were part of that organization? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you always want your organization to win. I, I think that goes without saying, I mean, at the same time, you could also argue, argue that, you know, you're trying to take one of these guys jobs. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, how good do you <laughs> want them to play? Right. Um, yeah. When you're in a, when I was I was an A ball at the time there, so you're you're at that you feel like you're far away in A ball. When you get to double mm-hmm. A and you see guys actually going up, or you're triple A and obviously the roster gets you know there's daily moves to the big leagues, you feel a lot closer. But in A ball, I think you're more of a fan of the, you're more of a fan of the team, and you want them to have success. You want them to win. Obviously, things are good when you win. I mean, even even in the scouting department, I was with Kansas City when when we won a World Series in in fifteen went to, you know, lost it in 14, but things are good when you're winning, you know, people are, people are happy. The office is happy. The, the general manager's happy. Everybody's good to go. So it's always fun being a part of a winning club. I got a question for you. The knuckleballer in general, and Chris, we can come back to more specific questions yeah, for yeah. the Red Sox, <laughs> but the knuckleballer in general, why am I totally blanking on the Red Sox guy we had like five, six years ago for a bunch of years? Steven, was it? Right. Stephen Wright, last yeah, name, right, yeah. I think it's Stephen Wright. I think that's I think that's correct. Are we going to see knuckleballers anymore with just the advancement of the game and everyone's throwing hundred mile an hour splitters and you know framing with catching is so different now. What do you think, Jim? I mean, I, I almost like forgot that knuckleballers were a thing until like Chris is like, hey, we're bringing on Jim and you know, O four Red Sox Wakefield. I mean, is it gonna is it gonna be a thing anymore? I don't think anybody comes into the game now as a knuckleballer. I think I've scouted one, like literally, and it wasn't even there to scout him. You were scouting somebody else. I think he was throwing it against a guy, and everybody goes, this guy throwing a knuckleball? Yeah, he was. But yeah, I think it's 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 such a it's such a niche that, you know, Charlie Zink's story, his quick story was, this guy was like 92, 94. Like he, and back in 03, 04, like 93, 94 was hard, you know, not like, Everybody yeah. wasn't throwing 99 and he's, he had a good arm, but he could really, I mean, this guy was good at everything. He was an unbelievable golfer. He was just one of those guys that was gifted doing a lot of things, but with throwing knuckleball and he actually threw into a trainer and hit him in the face. The trainer's glove went this way and the ball hit him in the teeth. And also, and the, uh, the uh, pitching coordinator happened to be there. He's like, do it again, do it again, do it again. And all of a sudden he became a knuckleball and he hated it the rest of his career. Trust me. You know, he wanted to be the guy out there throwing 94, but I think if it happens, it'll be something similar to that where guys not having success and just because the ability to repeat that pitch and then command it enough to throw it for strikes and have, I mean, if you, if you, 
get that thing to tumble at all. I mean, I remember Wake throwing it. I did the trip. Uh, I guess it was 05. Uh, we did the uh, exhibition games out in Arizona. And I flew out to the team in Arizona and Wake pitched there. Well, the air's so thin, the ball just kind of floats. And he gave up some monster home runs. I mean, just that's how that's how much that, you know, the, the effects, the wind, the air, everything affects the pitch. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of them if we do. You know, the one benefit is these guys can throw all day long. They can eat innings yeah. with the best of them. I mean, you can send those guys from double A to triple A to the big leagues all over back and forth, and they can throw pretty much every other day. Well, Wakefield, did, didn't he come out of the bullpen for a while? He was a closer, yeah. Jake. For Yeah, he was I a mean, closer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he gave up He gave up the walk-off to Boone. That wasn't because he was right. a closer. They were in extras, but he was right. he closed games for the Sox for like a year or two. <laughs> Yeah. And, oh, and I think insane. he was similar to Zinc in that actually even more different. It wasn't Wakefield drafted as like a shortstop or something yeah. like that. And then he ended yeah, up transitioning like he. Yeah, he was a position player. He didn't come up as a even a pitcher, let alone a knuckleballer. I just wish I could I could like have hurt myself playing at Siena and just became a knuckleballer in college. And then someone was like, we'll take a chance on him and, you know, just make a make a career out of uh, being a knuckleballer. Imagine Rossi's response when you was like, hey, I'm a knuckleball pitcher now. <laughs> yeah. Let's see it. That's not a knuckleball. That's a fastball. I had dreams of that. Like anytime we were messing around before, like we're warmed up, there's 15 minutes for a game. I would always grab someone and just throw knuckleballs. And like I had a, I think a decent one for like college, right? Like it'd be moving and whatever. Nothing, nothing like I could have actually pitched with it. But that was always like in the back of my head. Like maybe I'll just like focus on this and just give up everything else and try to get really good at it. Didn't happen. You told your independent ball coach, hey, yeah, you want to release me a shortstop? Throw me on the mound. See what happens. I'm also a habitual nail biter, so that's a bad combo. So you'd have to at least grow out the the, the yeah, index yeah. and the middle finger. A lot of manicures going into that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so Giants now, right? Yeah, Giants. How'd you get in there? Yeah, so I was with Kansas City up till uh, through the draft of 19, and then in, in uh, about September of 19, uh, they got a new director over there, Michael Holmes, in 18, and uh, he called 19 and called for permission to talk to me about the uh, Southeast job. And we talked on the phone a couple times and he said, well, if I feel like I need to fly down, I'll fly down to Tampa and called me a day later and said, you want the job? So I, uh, I took it and ran with it. And here I am. And this is, I just went through my third draft and onto my fourth year here. And you were, uh, you were with KC before that you said, right. Was that your first organization out of pro ball with respect to scouting? Was it KC or was there anyone before yeah. that? Yeah, no. I, so I left when I finished pro ball again, I was working, I did some uh, helping run an indoor facility up in Long Island, doing a lot of lessons and camps and, you know, some stuff like that. And then uh, went through scout school in 2010, you know, Northeast jobs are tough to get because those guys don't leave. And a lot of those guys hang around for a long time. So they offered a uh, Kansas city called one to interview me for a job in Tampa and went out and interviewed and it was actually the day before Thanksgiving, my wife and I, she's from Syracuse. We were driving from Long Island up to Syracuse and he called and offered me the job in the car. And I looked at my wife and said, well, we're moving to Tampa. What do you think of that? So I don't know how excited she was about it, but she did it. Is she, is she, a, is she a New Yorker through and through? She Through and through. Like, through and through. Now, like, how, 10 years rich. later, though. <clears throat> 10 years later, though. My house stays at like 68 because she hates the heat. <laughs> so has not acclimated. Very, so no. The reason I asked that, the reason I asked that is my wife's, uh, you know, Saratoga, Albany native. 
and we moved down to Charlotte. It'll be 10 years, basically in a month. And we both look at each other like, I, I, we can't go back. It's, it's like blood's thinned. She was, okay. <laughs> she was in the pool this past weekend. And this is actual no shit. It was 88 degrees outside and the pool was 80 and the cloud came over the sun and she was like, oh my God, I'm cold in the pool on a float. And I was like, babe, wow, that's uh, you are, you are truly acclimated. Yeah. Oh, yeah my wife would never admit it. Even if she was free, we could walk outside visiting Christmas time in Syracuse with 14 <laughs> feet of snow and she'd be like, oh, it's great out here. We should, we can come back. Like, no, we're not coming back. Oh man, that's great. So Jim, I just, I want to kind of like hone in a little bit on when you got into the scouting, right? So you said you stopped playing in 2006 mm-hmm. and you said you got into scouting with KC in 2010 and you were running camps in Long Island. It seems like in the interim, like how did that call come about with respect to like, Hey, come down to scout school or we're, we're looking at you as a scout. We talked to Casey who, who told us to contact you to come on the pod. And we know his story. He basically went from coaching college right. ball directly into scouting. So how was it that that opportunity presented itself? So, so I went through scout school in 2010. So I, okay. I doing the lessons. I love, look, I love teaching kids. It's great watching a kid tell me, you know, he got my first double or I got my first hit. I mean, some of the kids are obviously well advanced, but some of the kids, it's the kids that aren't, that aren't real good at the sport that come in and you can help them. And they come back. So I got two hits yesterday. It's always rewarding, but for longevity, I did, obviously it wasn't something I was looking to do for 10, 12, 15 years. So I uh, had contacted one of the guys that I knew who was scouting. Um, he's, he's like, the best thing you can do is try to get in scout school. So scout school at the time, Major League Baseball ran out in Arizona. Each team was able to sponsor two people. So you had to get a sponsorship from from one of the 30 clubs. So I actually called Ben Sherrington, who at the time was the minor league director in Boston when I played, uh, was the assistant GM at the time, but called, talked to him about it, told him this is what I want to do. He said, are you sure this is what you want to do? I said, yes. He called me back 25 minutes later, said, you're all set. Somebody was going to call you with your plane ticket. You're all taken care of. So went out and did that. And it's scout school is like really interesting because the guy had guys like Quentin McCracken and Dante Bichette and Scott Hatterberg in my class. And the first thing you do is you stand up and say, hey, this is my name. This is the <laughs> this is the highest level I played. This is who sponsored me, that type of stuff. So I'm listening to Dante Bichette stand up, and I'm like, yeah, we all know who you are. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you hit 45 in Colorado like a couple of days ago, I feel like. Um, but the amount of guys that showed up, and they're like, yeah, you know, I've never played, or I played in, you know, junior college or junior high, I'm sorry, junior high or something to that effect. So it's a completely – what a diverse group of people and experience they have yeah. in the game uh, that goes. So it's to the beginning of it, it's like – Super remedial. I mean, it's it's literally a guy standing up going, this is a two scene, this is a four scene. And like half of us are going, really? This is where we're at. But what it did was it gave you, a, you went out and actually scouted players and you actually wrote reports and you you understood the lingo and you understood how to put a grading system, you know, that 20 to 80 scale to use and understand how to actually write a report because guys don't want to read paragraphs. They want to read statements that are short to the point, you know, get your point across however you want it to come and then put it on, put it on paper, but do it quickly. So that gives you kind of that, that introduction into the report writing, the actual, again, applying the grades to the player that you're seeing. Um, 
And then again, I tried for like a year and a half to get a job in the Northeast because at the time we just bought a house recently in Long Island. You know, we felt like we were good where we were. And then the guy that was in scouting actually had left. Uh, he was with Seattle, went to Kansas City, called me and asked me if I'd be interested in a job in Tampa. Wife and I had a discussion and told him, yeah, went out and interviewed. And and uh, again, they offered me the job there right before Thanksgiving at 12. And and then I uh, got yelled at a week later for because I wasn't one guy told me to wait to find out where my car was. And then the other guy called and wanted to know why I wasn't in Florida yet, which didn't go over real well. <laughs> whole interesting story. As a scout, do you have folks, especially when you're looking at, you know, you're at a big tournament with some high profile kids. You get a lot of like parents come up to you and try to like chit chat. You obviously know their intentions or, or people just kind of leave you alone and, you know, the other scouts might, might talk to you. I'm just curious because I feel like I'm the type of person, I think that if my son was ever good, that I would just leave him alone because I know like the last thing they want to fucking talk about is talk to his parent. But I don't know. Maybe there's people out there that try to like, you know, rub shoulders with you. I know those people exist. They don't, there's not a ton of them, but they they exist. Uh, it's funny, the high profile guys that we deal with, like I just got back finishing up the trials down in uh, Fort Myers for the 18U national team. That's actually starting a tournament tomorrow uh, or Friday, Friday, starting a tournament Friday, the world cup in Bradenton. Like those parents are there. They don't bother you. I mean, they get it. They know, I mean, they've been on all the circuit. They've been at the major events that we go to. They talk to their advisors. They don't talk to us too much. Um, it's weird though when you show up to the random high school game that you're probably the only guy there. You're running down a name. You know, somebody told you about a guy that you want to go run down. That could be interesting sometimes because you walk up. Usually in Florida, anyway, you usually have to. The high school games charge like four or five bucks to get in, so you'd have to pay. And you, you know, usually if you say you're a scout, they just let you go in. But when you go to these little schools that scouts don't typically attend, and you say, "Hey, I'm a scout," they just look at you like for. What are, you, what are you talking about? Like you have no clue. And as soon as you explain to them, they're like, yeah, I guess you can go. Well, then they tell 14 people that, that a major league scouts there. And then, yeah, that can get interesting sometimes, but we try to blend in. And fortunately you're holding a radar gun. It usually doesn't work too well. I don't know why. Right. But. So the draft this year, I'm looking at the giants, 2022 draft, the number one guy. I mean, at least I'm hoping this is correct at a Yukon. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Reggie. Reggie. So that probably wasn't your guy because he was in Yukon, right? Correct. That's not the Southeast. But if I go down and look at East Carolina, Carson Wisenhunt, shit, damn, I got to go way, damn, I can't even find the next uh, Southeast guy. Florida State, Davis Hare. Uh, he was not, an undrafted free agent. Undrafted. We took a kid out of Puerto Rico. We took a kid out of Jacksonville in the 12th round. Um we saw all those guys. Like I saw Reggie in the summer play. He played for Team USA. Okay. Uh, wait to see this human being. It's on. He's 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 a left-handed pitcher. Right. Yeah. What's he going to be? What's it, what's he actually going to be as a profiled pro guy? Either look, we're going to start him when he gets healthy. He's coming back from Tommy John still. I mean, I watched him close for Team USA, sitting ninety-eight, touching a hundred. Like he's a physical specimen. Also, the nicest kid in the entire world. But he also hits. And when you watch him hit, like it's unbelievable BP. He's got big power. So when we drafted him, we drafted him as a two-way player. And what we did was 
since he can't obviously pitch yet, so he's been out hitting and he's done well. He's gone out and hit. A lot of the guys think he's a hitter, and we keep telling him pump the brakes. You got to see him pitch first, but so he's uh, he's impressive. Assume he came up. Assume this is seven years ago, pre Otani. Mm-hmm. Do you think there'd be as much of a willingness to potentially let this guy play both ways, or has Otani opened the door to those possibilities more so now than ever? This is such an interesting situation because he can't pitch right now. Like he can hit, but he can't pitch yet because he's still recovering from his Tommy John. Okay. So I think in this scenario, like it's, hey, go out and get active. You know, if you go in as a as a Tommy John guy and you sign, you're kind of you're kind of relegated to the sitting in the complex, showing up, doing your rehab, and going home. Like it's boring. Your days are boring. So. In order to, you know, when you first sign a guy, you don't want him spending two hours there and going to spend 22 hours in a hotel. Like, it's not fun, right? It's it's not giving a warm, fuzzy feeling to welcome to pro baseball. So in his situation where he can hit, it's it's great for us to just be allow him to go out, be part of the team every day, take BP, you know, shag you know, shag balls, play first base a little bit, you know, do that kind of stuff. So it's it's kind of a unique situation. I do think that I do think with Shohei doing what he's doing and how successful he is at it, I do think other teams are more open to it now than they would have been, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s. I, I think at that point yeah. it was, this is really difficult to do and nobody understood it. I don't think anybody understood how exactly it was going to work. You know what I mean? Like, right. how does this guy pitch? And then what's he going to do this next day and his third day? And how's he going to get his pen in when he's got, a, you know, that stuff. But with Shohei doing it in such a such a success rate, I think it's it's definitely helped those kids. Well, and the like rule we, change, right? Yeah, and I mean that helps. I think DH, yeah, that's huge help. That's a huge. We've help. Uh, we bagged on the Angels a lot, Jake, in the short life of this I, pod, but let's give them credit. I, I feel like they figured out how to use Otani. I feel like they figured Fucking out Otani. how to let him do both. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> and well, you know what? There, there was a guy with the Rays. I'm totally blind. I want to say it's like McKay or something like that. Like maybe five six years ago. Yeah, I think it was Brendan McKay, right? Is that yeah. the name? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, he was like a two. He was like the first like prospect two way guy. I feel like, and I remember like he was hitting, but he was also throwing like ninety five, ninety eight. I'm like, man, this guy's this guy's a pitcher. Like he's whiffing on shit, and he hit a bomb here or there, but like he's throwing gas. But now the game's changed. People are, you know, hitting two forty with twenty five, thirty jacks. Two forty, you're having a hell of a year now. Man, it's crazy! It's a crazy, crazy new game. But hey, Jim, I wanted to ask you. So, like, this is your third draft you just went through, right? Yep. With the Giants, with the Giants, excuse me. Yep. Outside of Reggie, um, I don't. I, I was looking at the twenty-one and twenty drafts. Anyone that was, is or I should say was or is on on your radar, like, hey, look out for this guy. He was high when I draft when I put him up there, and he's he's excelling. Or this guy's coming out of nowhere, and he's excelling. You want to come out of nowhere story. I got a great one for that. We took Vaughn Brown. We took Vaughn Brown in the 21 draft as a senior at a division two Florida Southern. Look up Vaughn Brown stats to see what that looks like. Cause that guy, right. If the, he just got hurt, if the season ended today, I believe he's, it was as of like three days ago, he would have been the silver slugger in all minor league baseball. We got him in the 10th oh, round and signed him as a senior sign. Like again, out of a division two school down here in Lakeland. So I, I don't know who that is. Like, I'll be honest, yeah, right? I don't know. Um, but 10th yeah. round isn't super, super late. 
at least in my mind. You got a lot of you got talent to be drafted anywhere, but tenth round is is still up there. Like, how do you think that is though? Senior signing, tenth mm-hmm. round, and this guy blossoms into like you said, like silver slugger award winner for all the minor leagues. Like, has has he just built upon like to a degree that you guys didn't think maybe was possible? Or were these like skills there all along and somehow maybe hidden to prevent him from being like a top five round pick or even a D1 player, I suppose? The fact that he was in D2 is is amazing as well. So Vaughn didn't hit a home run in high school. You know, he wasn't big. If you look at him, this guy's put so much work in. He's a physical specimen at the time. Like this guy works out twice a day. He's one of those guys that eats right all the time, but understands that he wasn't always the big prospect but understood that's where he wanted to get to. And nobody's put more work into that guy. Now the 21 draft was interesting because right off of COVID down in Florida, most everything was open except for that division two conference. They wouldn't allow fans or scouts into the games until very, very, very late in the year. So, I mean, he didn't have a great junior year, his senior year. He played very well. We actually had him at a workout. Our area guy, Jim Gabella did a hell of a job and got him to a workout with myself and one of our national cross checkers. And this guy walks in and you're looking at him and he's just like got 2% body fat. He's taking a hell of a BP. He's a, you know, he's a 70 runner. So we started adding up the tools. Then it becomes a guy that you're targeting and saying, Hey, look, he's at Florida Southern. Nobody could scout him. It's a senior. But when we got to the 10th round, especially because we need to save some money, you know, we called Vaughn Brown and said, you are, you know, this is what we'll offer you. And he says, I'm in all he, he told another scout. He, somebody asked him about his signability. He said, I'll sign for a Pop-Tart. That's how much this guy wanted to play. Yeah. And now, like I said, he just got, he got hurt when he got to double-A, started low-A, went to high-A. Now he's in, he went to double-A, got hurt. Um, right now he's on the, on the IL. But, I mean, his numbers this year, hell, if he, he was going to – he had a really good shot to go 30-30. Can I, can I rattle off his stats? Do it. 387 at-bats. 346 batting average, 23 bombs, 75 ribbies. 1060 OPS and then to your speed point 44 bags. What level Jake? Where's he at? <laughs> Double A. The Richmond Flying Squirrels, he's on the 7-day IL. He obviously like is prescribing to the Kapler diet if like he's asked it must be a gluten-free pop tart you would assign for, right? I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure he just well, he wouldn't eat the icing, I don't think. Just the outside <laughs> that everybody hates. <laughs> but not everybody listening may know you said he's a 70 runner and you said 20, 80 skill earlier, Jim. 80 right. is the best you can be at a skill as a, you know, right. with respect to scouting grades. 20, 20 is the worst. So being a 70 runner and those are major league numbers, right, Jim? Like you're projecting out what these guys will be in the majors. So we use 50. So 50 is major league average. Average. So we talk about arm strength. We talk about power. We talk about defensive ability, you know, the bat in general. Like all that stuff is based off the 2080, but 50 being major league average. So, yep. look, I think a lot, some guys can interpret major league average differently. Like, I think if you played at a high level, you caught pitchers and understand what a major league average curveball looks like, it's filthy. Like, I think most people would walk up and go, that's nasty. And that's an average pitch. So, you know, we talk about, we're talking about plus tools, like 60 tools, 70 tools. Very rarely do we give out eights unless it's fastballs or just speed because it's, you know, it's easy to say. But when you're talking about better than average major league tools, it's it's impressive. You had him rated on the, the with those same tools in that area going into the draft where you all took him, right? Yep. So take me through, you got him in the 10th round. 
like take me through the thought process, like the seventh, eighth, ninth rounds roll around. And I'm sure you guys had guys you wanted, right? Maybe ahead of him, but you wanted this kid. You wanted Vaughn, right? So what's the thought process like, like when the ninth round comes and it's like, do we take him here? Do we pass and like hope that he still slips to the 10th? Are you guys that nobody like, else saw him? Yeah. Like, are you like you know, cued into like maybe where other teams have him ranked and feeling confident that you're still going to get him in the tenth round? Like how pissed would you have been if you took whoever you took in the ninth and then he went off the board? I'm always really interested in that aspect of the major league draft in particular. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors that go into that. Obviously, I mean, money's probably one of the main factors that goes into that. So it depends on if you spent your money up top, you need to save money down below. Obviously, you have a you have a bonus pool that you can only deal with in the top 10 rounds, whatever that pool may be. Um, and if you know, you get a 5% overage, but after that, I mean, you're talking about losing first round picks. So you stay, I mean, nobody, nobody thus far has gone over that 5% to lose a first round pick. So the money factors in the talent factors in understand. So in my, in my regional supervisor role, there's four of us, there's two national guys. We probably have eight or nine special assistants that have gone out and seen players in the room. Now we've sat through meetings and we've lined these guys up and said, all right, you know, these are the, these are the guys we're targeting up top. These are the guys we're targeting the middle rounds and then the late rounds. So there's a lot of things that go into that board. I mean, if you look at our 21 draft that year, we took Vaughn in the 10th. He was the first position player we took. Our, our strategy going into that draft was very pitcher heavy. And it was, we're going after, you know, the, the guys that we think have a chance to impact the club soon we have guys that have big stuff. I mean, obviously, stuff nowadays plays. So we went pitchers all the way through until we got to the tenth round. And again, we now we needed a money saver in the tenth. And you look up and you see your board of senior signs that are available and the guys that you really like there and you, and you believe in. Now, I mean, the age factors into that. You're getting a guy that's 23, 24 years old. You know, those guys. Most of those guys should be in Double A, and they. You know, you're going back to rookie ball. So if a guy has a great year in low A, that's great. Well, he's three or four years older than it's like being a senior and having facing a team that's playing, you know, throwing only freshmen. Yeah. You know, you feel pretty good about your chances. So, you know, to get him there, we were happy. We we're thrilled about it. We didn't obviously look, I can, I'll be honest. Did we think he was going out and do what he's doing right now? No, we would have taken him in the second round if he'd have done that. But yeah, right. So he's gone out and, and continued to work. And, and that's the thing that our area guy did such a good job on is identifying the makeup and identifying the work ethic because the guys that have that tend to get better. The guys that don't have that just kind of stay where they are. And to identify him where we got him was, was pretty good on our area guys part. Is there chatter after a pick like that? Like drafts all said and done. Are you getting like texts from some of your buddies, like who scout for the A's or pick another team that are like, what the hell were you guys thinking picking this guy in the fifth or the seventh? Uh, not too much. I mean, okay. look, we have some close friends that we do with, with, you gotta be careful though, because yeah. you bag on, you're going to bet. You can't bag on too many guys. That guy goes out and hits 350. You look like an idiot. So that's my point. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, look, we all see players differently. We all have them lined up differently. Obviously we like the players that we take. I mean, we like players that other teams take. I mean, you just, you get one pick every, in this past draft, we were picking 30, we pick last. So it's tough watching all those players go by that you spent a lot of time and effort in on and, and did the work on and watch them go to somewhere else and become good players. Not that you didn't like them. It's just, you know, you don't have an opportunity to pick some of these guys. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you, what do you guys thinking in the giants organization right now when you got the Dodgers with 
unlimited payroll. I mean, you call them the Yankees of the West Coast. They might just be the Dodgers. Yeah, they're the Dodgers. I mean, they're just doing whatever the fuck they want. Uh, You got the Padres, who are clearly been in this, I don't even want to kind of rebuild, but just like a retooling and, you know, the soda. Man, they're just crazy. Colorado, okay, whatever. We'll just let them be for a little bit. Um, What are you guys thinking of the Giants organization? Like, hey, we got to keep doing what we're doing. Like, we had last year especially, like, the pitching really came around and, like, made super uber competitive. Obviously, a little different this year, at least in the standings right now. Where's the Giants organization's head right now from your standpoint? Well, I think we all see what the Dodgers are doing and see what the Padres, you know, obviously giving up giving up what they gave up to get Soto and how much that changes their lineup. Uh, but we're not that far removed from winning 107 the year before, you know, and winning the division and, and you know, actually went down to the, you know, went down the last game with the Dodgers in the playoffs and yeah. wound up splitting the year with them. Now, a lot of those guys had career years or, or rejuvenated careers, so to speak, you know, Look, it's not my place to tell where Farhan is is going to want to go with the team, but I can see some guys' contracts that are about to come up and and see about you know some of these some of these prospects that we can bring up and I think are major league ready and look, I think we got a good young group. I know I you know Baseball America puts us like right in the middle of of minor league organizations and I see some what other guys have in front of us and I feel pretty good about what we what we've put in the system in the last four or five years and what's ready to come up. When you were talking about like the, the guys in the minors that are ready to come up. So you, obviously you're involved in, in scouting these high school and college kids and then involved with the draft. At that point, these kids are now in, in the Giants organization. Are you pretty much done with them at that point and just be, back to turning your attention to the next crop? Or do you still sort of have maybe some say or involvement in the minor league players in the system? No, we pretty much hand them over to player development. And yep. look, we make recommendations as we send them out. So our area guys fill out a form and say, hey, this is what he does well. This is what I think he needs to work on. You know, they take all that information. They apply it. Everything's so specialized now in minor league baseball. I mean, it's it's really – it's actually kind of cool to see is, you know, when I was playing, look, everybody tried to hit the same way. Everybody tried to catch the same way. Every pitcher was go throw this bullpen. You're going to throw this many pitches, this many change-ups, this many sliders. And now it's gotten to the point where it's so specific. When we're sending this guy out saying, hey, there's a real slider in there, but it's not consistent. Like he gets on the side of it. Well, we break out these, you know, these cameras that can watch your fingers come off the come off the baseball and understand that, hey, that wrist needs to be turned slightly so we can maximize the spin. And we can we can individualize that plan to every single player. You know, we've got minor league baseball now is awesome. I mean, we just opened up a brand new facility in Papago, which is like beautiful, and the technology is awesome. I mean, I was floored what these kids were eating in there. We used to get hot soup and crackers. It was, I mean, that's literally what you ate every day. Yeah. And then you know now they're, I mean, it's full. It's steak and it's chicken and it's Taco Tuesdays and it's. And they have meals set out to say, hey, this is what you get if you're on a weight loss, weight gain, ma- weight maintain plate. Like, it's crazy how much how much we're putting back in the minor league, which is great and what we should be doing. But it's really fun to watch how we're individualizing programs to these kids and getting them better. Jake, would you? what would you have been on? The bulk? The bulk meals? Oh, I would have been on the bulk meals. I think <laughs> we're going to get to that here in a minute. But it could be a good segue into uh, – if I were to ask you, Jim, who would win a fitness strongman, I guess, modeling show? <laughs> and I'm looking at the lineup that went out today. 
against the Dodgers. Lewis Brinson, Evan Longoria, Yaz, or Gabe Kapler. I think we all know who's going to win that. Yeah. I mean, do we have to say it? (laughs) I'll give you you a funny one about I'll give you a funny one. One of my, when I was with Kansas City, one of my best friends in Kansas City was doing pro coverage. And he's track. he sees this guy on the field and he's doing pro coverage. He's jacked out of his mind. And he's like, he went out and took BP. He took BP that day. He was coaching, but he took BP. And he spent 30 minutes trying to figure out because he wasn't on the roster who came in, who they brought in today, because he wanted to write a report on the guy. The guy's like 41. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's his, dude, Kapler's, I mean, gotta love him. Red Sox. I mean, he I was doing Kapler. like, yeah. Wasn't he doing bodybuilding competitions in the offseason when he was actually playing with the Red Sox? And that was like his big thing. Like, oh, this guy's an Adonis. He eats so well. And now he's like GQ. Like he's got like he's got like the Belichick cut sleeve sweatshirts, but they're like they look way better and they're like super like they I love Kapler. <laughs> <laughs> I loved him, man, as a player. He got played hard. You know what I mean? He did. Uh yeah. Enjoyed him for sure. What do you say? Should we jump into a little uh, Coach's Corner and some tales? Let's do it, Jim. You said you had something for Coach's Corner. What do you got? <laughs> so I do got a pretty decent Rossi story. And, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So we're, we're, we're playing at home, and he got the signs. I don't know if he could see him from the catcher or the pitcher was tipping behind his back or whatever it was, right? So he got the signs. So we're going up hitting, and he starts yelling, hey, Cheecher, come on, Cheecher. <laughs> and then the next week you're like, all right, Bonesy, here you go, Bonesy. <laughs> everybody's like, this is like the third inning and everybody's come back dugout and going, what in God's name is he talking about? Like, what is he yelling? Like he's yelling Cheech and Bones at everybody, right? <laughs> so about the, it was like third or fourth inning, he comes in and goes, I, I, how can you guys not hit this guy? I'm telling you what's coming. I'm telling, I, I'm telling you everything is coming. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? He goes, huh? We're like, what? He's like, yeah, you know, Cheech and Bones. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? In his mind, it was like universal code that only his players would know that Cheech meant off speed and Bonesy was a heater coming. So he starts yelling at everybody because nobody knew what the hell he was talking about. He's like, I, I don't understand. Why you guys, you guys, Cheech and Bones? I'm like, what? This could be deja vu. I feel like that happened to us, Jake. Am that that 100% happened with us. No, that, I can't recall the day or the game, but there was a time when he was down a third, and it was like, it wasn't like obvious to be like, no, 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 cheat, 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 cheat. Like, are you trying to be sneaky about it? It was like, I'm like an airplane going by, like a car, and you're like, did he just say cheech to me? I think I'm, if you forget, I'm Jake. He never told you what it meant, which is the best part. It's like he, he yes. didn't tell you, like, hey, in the it's like a preseason meeting going, hey, if I pick up the signs, this is what we're gonna use, right? It was just random, and everybody's looking at him like going, This man, this guy's on his last leg right here. Like yeah. this is like ninety-nine. But so yeah, we got the cheech and bones. But, That's good. And then he proceeded to turn his back on you when you missed when you when he didn't hit it, and he's just like, oh, just turns. Oh, uh, it was. Oh, yeah. yeah his his turns and just a look of like utter disgust that you just struck out. Like, yeah, I don't feel good about it either. Jim, we talked about this on prior episodes, but one of the biggest changes from high school to college was 
Rossi loved giving you the hit sign 3-0. You know, like he'd, he'd give you the hit sign in whatever count if there wasn't anything else on, but that just meant like you could hit if you want, if you like the pitch. But he would give it to us 3-0 all the time, and I never really swung 3-0. I don't know if it was because I wasn't really just. I think that you did confident. more than anyone, though. Yeah, and you did more than. It anyone. wasn't just like it wasn't just like green light. It was like if you took if you then took the pitch that was a decent pitch, it was the back turn, hands up, just completely furious <laughs> at you. Like was he still doing that in ninety nine, two thousand? Oh, so, oh yeah, he did all that stuff. <laughs> I mean, you guys didn't. We got yelled at for. I mean, we got between that and the tarp, put the damn tarp on, and we oh, got yelled at for that stupid thing, like. We used to get screamed at. It was it was more Paul Thompson that screamed at us about that than Rossi because he'd be under the cover. And you guys missed out. So we used to have these long sleeve green, like they were heavy. They were like super thick. And it was like a mock turtleneck, all green, sienna and yellow with your number on the back. And these things weighed like four pounds dry. I, mean, I they have were one. heavy as all get. I have one too. <laughs> we found them in one. like the. It was. It was. <laughs> yes, we found them. They were leftovers, and we stole our numbers. Oh. Yeah, I got one. So they're the heaviest things in the world. Yeah. And then you <laughs> had to go out and do a tarp pull, and now this thing got wet, and you had a double header on Saturday, and you're playing in this thing that weighs like nine pounds, and we didn't have the clubhouse it was all the way back in the Mac back then. Yeah. It was brutal, man. We got screamed at for that tarp. Nobody could get the, the thing right. It was like. Come in sideways. You got to line up the seams. You got to yeah. get everything right, you know? Tarp, tarp pull was a possible name for this podcast. I'll just put that out there. I think we yeah. made the right decision, but uh, it was we were debating it. You guys, did, you guys didn't have Thompson standing out there yelling, you guys are freaking juniors and freaking seniors, and you can't figure out the tarp. <laughs> we had <laughs> we had Thompson me. for our freshman year. Did you really? Yeah, he was there. Yeah, he would yeah. always say, it's not, it's not rocket surgery. And I always had to right. ask him, like, what he meant by that? Because... You know, he just looked at you like, huh? <laughs> I still never understood what he actually did other than just say rocket surgery to us and just like yell. But I love, I love coach Thompson. I don't know why. It was like your he old, was, it's like he your was, grandpa. He was great. He was great unless you had to pull that damn tarp. And then it was like drill sergeant Thompson came out. Fucking tarp pull. What number were you, Jim? 33. Oh, okay. Oh, you're a Chappie. Chappie's number, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't Chat? We had yeah. chap on, I don't know, five, six episodes ago. I was just going to make sure like I, I wasn't wearing, like I still wear I my 25 heavy ass freaking jersey, I guess. If sure. I was wearing yours, you'd be like, well, you might want to burn that or something. We found those long sleeves and then we found these white, like really tight jerseys with green pinstripes on them with yellow Sienna lettering. Oh, yeah. In the, in the uh, wherever, the warehouse as well. So I have one of those too, and it's not my old number. I just grabbed one, but we had our, uh, you know, fall intra-squad scrimmage world series or whatever. And those were the uniforms for that day. So like one team wore those, those, uh, pinstripe ones I was telling you about. And then one wore your, your guys old jerseys. It was good. Those were brutal. <laughs> Hell, we didn't take anything home. I think I had, I think I took a bag that had our number on it one day at the end of the year. I think I took the bag with all our stuff in it. I think he called me like a week later, wanted me to send the bag back. And I was like, ah, that's probably <laughs> <laughs> yep it's in the mail yeah yep. i paid 28 dollars in fedex shipping for it to get to you just take yeah. it out of my raffle ticket money yes <laughs> <laughs> that was good coaches the great coaches corner because it's very relevant to the experiences we had 
Well, I've got a Hennepin one that I think Jim's going to appreciate as well because it's got the Rossi tie-in too. So we do Tales of Hennepin Hall, Jim, just like could be whatever, any random story from, from college. But I'll bring this one back to baseball specific. So we were coming back. I'm pretty sure it was a southern trip, uh, probably like to the Carolinas or something. It was a long bus ride and it was an overnight bus ride. Uh, so like we finished our game the day before, probably ended at seven, you know, load up the bus. No one's probably even showered. And we just head back to Loudonville. And we rolled in at like noon and uh, class schedule back then. I think most classes, the morning classes would end around 1130 or 12. There wasn't m- many classes from 12 to one. And then they'd pick up again. So we pulled in. Rossi stands up and he's like, all right, guys, um, you know, enjoy the rest of your day. We got practice tomorrow. Anyone who's got class this afternoon, even starting at one o'clock, I expect you to be there. And it was like 45 minutes away. We had just finished a 13 hour bus ride without showering. And we all looked at each other. Like, I'm pretty sure Jake, we like sat with each other right next to each other. And I was like, I'm not going to class. Like I had a class at one. I'm like, I'm not going to class. I'm going home to shower and sleep. Like there's no way. So nobody went to class. Um, Rossi, however, notified all of the professors that we were back in time and should have been at class. And of course, Jake and another guy on the Orlick. team, Mike Orlick, they had a, one of the professors with a stick up his or her ass that actually read that email from Rossi, realized Jake was not there and reported it back to Rossi. So Mike Orlick was a senior and I was a freshman. Yeah. And Mike was yeah. Mike, I'll never forget getting off that bus. He's like, you're not fucking going to that class. I'm like, I'm not going to that class. He's like, don't go yeah. to that. I'm like, I'm not. I think it was a religion. Nothing against a religion class. I was like, it starts in 40 minutes. I got to go take a shower. I got to go to bed. I'm tired. Yeah. So yeah. Jake, Jake and Orlick get called in and they get suspended for like, what, one game, two games? I mean, it was a suspension. <laughs> And yeah. the rest of us are sitting there, and I and I think at the next practice, he asked us voluntarily, like, if anyone else didn't go to class, I want to know, because I'm going to find out. And, like, the rest of the team, we just sat there. Like, no one raised their <laughs> hand, but just fingers crossed. Like, professors haven't reported this yet. Like, I don't think he's going to find out. And they and he yeah. didn't, luckily. But uh, student athletes, man, he, he wanted us in class, I guess. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> Jake, yeah, Jake and Orlick were the only two that got in trouble, even though 45 of us skipped. Good to see you. Well, first off, on your trip back, did you stop at Burger King at Poughkeepsie? Every time, man. Every time. <laughs> Newburgh. 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 Yeah, right. yeah, Newburgh. yeah. I think it was yep. Newburgh exit, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I, I think Rossi, Rossi must have eaten there no less than 500 times in his life, which is hysterical. Jim, but. I got to tell you, again, we're repeating something from like 10 or 12 episodes ago, but it's very relevant. For all the new listeners, Coach Rossi, I called him out and I said, why the hell? Because we had him on. We had him on the pod. Why did you always put BK as our place to stop? Dead Pan was just like, captain's choice. I never made that choice. You guys made that choice. I'm like, coach, I was the captain for two years. Never once was that decision ever instilled in me that I could pull the team and say, we're not going to BK. He's like, nope, you're misremembering. <laughs> I was also a captain my senior year, and that never happened. The reason we went to BK happened. is because Rossi and the bus driver ate for free. Those are facts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now it comes out. Now it comes out. <laughs> Damn. Burger King Dude. and sundries, Jim. 
some things uh, never change. Some things never change. <laughs> a lot of fun, man. It was good. You know, we've talked about it before, but like, you know, the brotherhood of just dudes catching up who played ball together, you know, Sienna alum, even better, but just easy conversation, Jim. A lot of fun. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Much appreciated, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's a blast. I'm glad I came on and uh, it was t- fun talking about Sienna. We had good times there and and actually, I went up and I had to see Kumar Rocker was playing the independent ball in Troy this past year. Yeah. So I flew up to see him and uh, stopped in and saw Rossi for about two and a half hours and sat in his office. And I, he, you know, shot the shit about whatever and things that he thinks he remembers better than I do, but I'll call him out on it. But he, uh, it's always good to get back there and see him. And it was always, uh, it's always fun to get back to Loudon, but I don't get, I don't get there enough, but, uh, it's good. It was good to see the campus too, and things that they're doing. And I know what he's trying to do to the field, which is which is going to be nice if he gets it done. So, um, yeah, it was fun though. I'm glad I was came on, and thanks you guys for having me. The field is really something else compared to even when we first started playing. Like he's really making a ton of ton of progress with that. And like, look, say what you want. We we make fun of him a little bit, uh, and all in in you know from a good place. Yep, he's been there forever. His memory, when we had him on the pod, I yeah. left that episode being like, how the hell does this guy remember like a starting pitcher back in 1987? And he does like he remembers and maybe he gets like a few things wrong here and there. But it's insane to me, the stuff that that guy can remember from, you know, minor players on a team in 2000. You know, that guy had 40 at bat for us and hit 270. And it's like, Jesus Christ. So <laughs> he's, his mind doesn't leave the game. No, it does. And I try to get down. They always open up now at UCF still. still. So yep. if I'm in Florida, I usually try to get over there on a Sunday and go go sit there and talk to him for a while and and uh, just to catch up. And he's usually sunburnt because he's been tanning for, for the day before. Well, I mean, he's, he comes down here for like, what, five months? So he's, yeah, he's usually good. <laughs> it's 88 degrees. Talking about my wife, Coach Rossi, still wearing dickies and his – and his uh, varsity jacket, 88 degrees. <laughs> All right, Cheech. All right, Bones. It's been fun. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Hey, Man Pepper. Yeah, episode 21, guys. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Chris. Till next Thanks, time. Jim. Yeah, it's been a blast. Thanks, guys.